Amen. So we are starting, as Simon said, a new sermon series. And uh, the sermon series is called Perspectives. Now, we've chosen this idea of perspectives leading into Easter because the event often gets told in a singular way, right? And we recount the story and we, we take it the same way each time. But actually, when we look at the story of Easter, there's a lot of different people that live the story and it's never the same for the same person. Let me give you, let me tell you what I mean. Let me show you a picture. We'll put the first picture on the screen. Now, this is just a standard scenario and it's just a creative drawing, but you can see one person can see four pieces of wood from the angle that he's standing on, but the other person only sees three. See, neither are wrong because of the angle that they're looking at it, but they both have very different understandings of what's happening. I'll show you another one. Let me show you another one. These things are fun. See, this one's a bit funnier. One person is on land and is so stoked to see his way off by the boat, but the other fella's in the boat and probably has been for a while, and he's just stoked that he can get his feet on solid ground. See, it's all the same event, but they all got different meanings. Let me tell you a different sort of analogy. Maybe you're not a pictures person. Uh, maybe if you think about it, right, you've got a boiling pot of water on, on, on the stove, right? And you pop in your eggs for, I think my nana told me, 90 seconds and you have perfectly boiled eggs. Uh, but you put your eggs into the water and it becomes hard, right? And then maybe you use the same water and the same pot, but you put potatoes in. What happens to the potatoes? They don't go hard. They go soft. Or maybe my favorite of the three, maybe actually you put coffee into some boiling water and what happens? The, the coffee dissolves into it and actually the water changes, right? All of it the same event, just putting something into boiling water, but every time there's a different action that occurs, Right, And it's the same thing that's happening here. And what we want to do this lead up into Easter is say, what are some events that happen near the event of Easter? And what are some of the events and, and some of the reactions from these people that were directly impacted by Jesus? Because when he dies on the cross would be significantly different for some people as it is to be for others. I'll give you a little insight to one of the weeks. We're going to look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. How is that different from Lazarus? Right? Or maybe we're going to look at, on Good Friday, some of the people surrounding the event and actually watching that event on the cross. How does that impact differently to someone that had a miracle happen before the the Passover? So that's what we're going to look at. And that leads us into this story that we had of Jesus and Lazarus. And uh, we're probably familiar with the story, but let me just recap it really quickly. Uh, Word goes out to Jesus, who's in uh, that Lazarus, who's in Bethany at the time, has become super sick and is going to die. But Jesus says, uh, we're going to hold off for a bit and we're not actually going to go straight away. And in that time that he doesn't go, Lazarus dies. Now, I'm going to recap it really shortly for you because it's, it's about 55 verses and that's why we didn't use it all for the reading this morning. 
But what happens then is uh, Jesus then, after he's died, goes to Lazarus and the family, Mary and Martha. We've heard those names before, haven't we? Mary and Martha, the ones that sit and serve Jesus when he comes to their house. But then what happens is, you know, they actually start saying, if only you were here beforehand, you could, pre- pre- could have prevented Lazarus from dying. And so what happens is uh, they take him to the grave and Jesus weeps. He's weeping for the loss of Lazarus. And it's, it's got one of the greatest displays, I think, of Jesus's emotion and care for the people around him in that. And then what happens is, they continue to say, well, if you were only here when he was sick, you could have brought him back from the dead. Or from his sickness, sorry. We're going to get to the coming back from the dead bit in a second. But they say, you could have prevented all this. And that's why when, it's, when we got to the reading this morning, it said he's angry. Wouldn't you be a bit sick of it? You do all these great things. And then people say, well, if only you did this too. Can you relate to that? And so that's why there's that display of emotion that we read in the first verse. He's angry. And so then we read the rest of the story. Jesus calls out Lazarus and brings him out of the tomb as actually the third time he's resurrected someone from the dead at this point of time. It's the third resurrection that Jesus has done. But this is the the one where there's been the most amount of time between death and him bringing someone back. So this gives the most validity to the miracle of him bringing someone back from the dead. That's the story in a nutshell. I encourage you to read it, John 11, in depth. It's very interesting. But I tell you that because we need to understand that this relationship between Lazarus and Jesus isn't just like someone he loves because he stumbled across them. This, this relationship between Lazarus and Jesus is uh, one that's almost like family. And it's like a brotherly love. It's something that you have this deep care for the person. And so there's this relationship between Lazarus and Jesus. So when we come to actually asking in terms of, well, how do we challenge this as a perspective, it raises some really interesting questions to what we might imagine Lazarus say when he finds out Jesus has died, right? Well, let me explain that. Let me reword that for you because it can be a bit confusing. When Lazarus heard, because of his personal relationship with Jesus, that Jesus has died, imagine some of the questions he might be asking himself. We're going to put our thinking caps on. We're going to be a bit creative, Maybe he, he uh, might have thought to himself, well, if they killed Jesus, how long till they're going to come after me? So this is where we're going to start thinking. We're going to think creatively, right? Maybe he uh, shared the story with his sisters again. Maybe he, he shared with them, remember when Jesus stood at my tomb and called me out? Maybe, maybe he shared that story because we share stories when we suffer a loss, don't we? Maybe he questioned God. Maybe he said, why did someone so close to me have to die? Or maybe he misunderstood a greater plan of God's because we have history, so it's very easiest to take it for granted. But imagine being in the moment and Jesus has died. 
And he says, why did Jesus have to die? You know, we, we've mentioned before in different sermons, they expected someone to come in and overthrow the Romans. That's what the Jews thought was going to happen. They weren't thinking of a spiritual kingdom. So he's saying, why do you have to die? He was meant to be our leader and the one to take us in to take over Rome sort of thing. And he just proved in the resurrection from bringing Lazarus out of the tomb that he has control over death. He has all power over death. So maybe the question that Lazarus asked was, why did he choose to die? Why, why did Jesus choose to die? Because obviously he has all this power and he, can, he has control over death. It must have been a choice then. So that brings us into the question I want to wrestle with this morning. And it might be a bit theological at points, but I'll, I've tried my best to bring it into uh, easy ways to understand. But the question is, why did Jesus die? And it's really important because that's the whole celebration that we're coming to of Easter. We're celebrating Jesus dying. And I don't know, but you can't really celebrate something unless you understand it. Now, there's a couple of different ways you can look at it. You can think, well, from a historical point of view, uh, it's pretty straightforward. The Jewish leaders got sick of Jesus getting popularity, and so they plotted and they bribed one of the people close to him to be able to actually take him into a trial where they made up some stuff and actually got a death sentence for him. And that's backed up. It says in Acts 2 verse 23... Wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Can you just pop that verse up? Thanks, Chris. It says, wicked men put him to death by nailing him to the cross. And that's a very real aspect of it. It's, it's the history. And that would have been what Lazarus saw. That's his observation. But it goes on to say in Acts 2 verse 23... It's handed over by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And to get to the heart of this question of why did Jesus die, we've got to understand that this isn't just man doing something here. This is all part of God's plan and it's all part of God's reasoning to bring us back to him. right? And we know that. That's the answer we give. And so, but what, what we, I want to do is actually unpack those thoughts a bit deeper. What does it mean to be, for God, in that perspective, for him to bring us closer back to him? And so we're going to look at that first point, to bring us near to God. There's a verse, 1 Peter 3 verse 18, and it says, Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. The purpose of bringing us to God implies that Jesus, before Jesus dying, we were far away from God. On this idea, both there's, there's two people that write a lot of the letters to the church. And there's a guy named Paul and there's a guy named Peter. And both of them agree that this is true. We're both far away from God. 
And it says in Ephesians 2 verse 13, You who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. The action of Jesus dying brings us back to God, brings us into closer proximity with God. And what needed to be dealt with and by the act of Jesus dying is actually sin. It was our sin. In 1 Peter 3 verse 18, it says, quite simply, Christ died for our sins. That's as simple as it is. And the Bible doesn't, it doesn't tread lightly around the topic. Like this is before a time of political correctness. It just says it. It's not that we need to get around it or anything, but we do wrong. And Jesus died for us. Even though that we are bad, we can come into relationship with God. Matthew describes his, uh, Jesus describes his disciples sometimes in Matthew, particularly 7 verse 11. There's at one point he says that they're evil. And in uh, Romans 6 verse 23, it says that the consequences of sin is death. All human beings stand to be condemned before God and our sins separated us from him. Which brings us into a term that we throw around in theology a little bit. And I want to introduce you to it if you haven't heard it before. Because it's, it just really adds a lot of value to why Jesus died for us. The term is called substitution. Now you might have heard about that in sports. Someone comes on for another player. However, in the th- term in theology, it has a lot deeper meaning. Because it's, what it means is we were the ones worthy of the punishment. But we were swapped out and someone else, being Jesus, took our punishment and he took our place and received those consequences that we deserved. That's substitution. And this nature that surrounds it with Jesus' death is key to understanding how God deals with our sin and offers us forgiveness. It's key to understand how God brings us near to him again. Christ died for sins, the righteous and unrighteous, to bring you to God. The unrighteous is all of us. The righteous one is Jesus. There's a lot of imagery in the New Testament the books about Jesus, the Gospels, which actually uh, talks about this substitution for us. I want to put up some examples for you. The first one is from Mark 10 verse 45, where it says, He gave his life as a ransom in the place of many. In 1 Peter 2 verse 24, it talks about how he bore the sin, our sins on himself. And in Romans 3 verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Atonement meaning bringing us back into close proximity with God through the shedding of his blood. This, This idea of why did Jesus have to die is all about bringing us nearer to God, bringing us back close to God. 
The second point I want to raise this morning or the reason why Jesus had to die is because it also reveals the character of God. It reveals the character of God. It is not that we knew nothing of God before Jesus died. In fact, they knew quite a lot about God. But when, uh, when Jesus died on the cross, it actually shows this climatic expression of God's character. There's two texts from Romans that I'd like to, to show you. In Romans 5 verse 8, it says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The death of Jesus puts beyond all doubt that God loves us. It assures us that no matter what life throws, we can trust him because, the second verse, he who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all will graciously give us all things. Graciously give us all things. See, there's, there's lots of other reasons that we could look into. This, this question of why did Jesus die is so much bigger than you can probably wrestle with with even a series. It's a huge topic. And, and some things that you would say even off that is you could talk about stuff because you had to conquer evil. And he wanted to give us a new covenant, a new promise. And he wanted to show us a, as an example of sacrificial love. You can keep going on. Why did Jesus have to die? But it leaves a very interesting question. Where would we be if God had not sent his son to die for us? That's a question we could ask today. As we come into Easter... Paul kind of raises this idea and he says, if Jesus didn't die for us, we would be darkened in our understanding of God and alienated from the life of God. That's in Ephesians 4 verse 18, if you want to read it. But let's come back to this idea, this, this perspective of Lazarus. He's just heard that Jesus died and he would have been rattled. He would have been rattled. And there would have been a lot of questions. But we've been asking, how did it affect him? What sort of questions did it affect Lazarus? Which is all very interesting. But we've got to ask ourselves in the same way, how does Jesus' death affect me? How does Jesus' death affect you? Are you rattled like Lazarus? Uh, do you take it for granted, maybe? Do you take it for granted? Is it just a concept you've heard of and you've not, never really gra tried to grasp it? Or is it something you hold dear onto that brings you near to God and shows you God's glory and character? There's, there's an interesting slogan. There's a slogan that I want to leave you with. It's not the first one, I've modified it, but you might have heard, a pet is for life, not just for Christmas. I got told that a few times in my childhood. A pet is for life, not just for Christmas. Well, well, let's change it for an Easter thing, actually, because we're coming into Easter. 
Let me put this to you before we sing another song. The death of Jesus is for life, not just for Easter.